The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 167 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So good evening, everyone. Uh, we have another awesome show for you this evening. Uh, the co-founder and CEO of AlphaWave, Mr. Cody Pierce, is going to be with us for episode number 167. Um, I love these conversations. I love them. I love these conversations with these tier one entrepreneurs because they're out there in the trenches. Uh, they know what's going on. They know what it takes to succeed. And these conversations get really, really interesting and this is where you find the smartest people in cybersecurity, in my opinion. And that's been my sort of experience with this show. So a little bit about AlphaWave and what uh, Cody does there. Uh, AlphaWave is an attack service assessment company uh, that helps you stay secure through every stage of your digital transformation. So with 20 years of cybersecurity experience, Cody has established himself as a global expert on attack research in defense with a proven track record of delivering innovative solutions for both the public and the private sectors. Cody has held several leadership positions at successful cybersecurity companies that I'm sure you'll recognize, including Tipping Point, Endgame, and Rapid7. Cody loves innovative technology, but is more passionate about making customers and partners secure in today's digital era. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. Cody Pierce. Cody, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks for having me, George. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too, for sure. We got a lot of things to talk about. I want to talk about the attacker first uh, for this segment. And, you know, maybe get into some of the more uh, what may seem like obvious questions, but may not be so obvious to some people, depending on what, <laughs> what you have to say. I'm not sure. So let's get into what really motivates an attacker these days. And so what you're seeing out there, what is the motivation for the attackers? Because if we're really going to be intelligence led, we really have to understand our adversary as well as understanding ourselves, right? So let's talk about the adversary for a second. What say you? Yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, a lot of times we want to uh, be better defenders by understanding the attacker. And my background is in attack research. So over those 20 years, it kind of changes the way you think, um, you know, and you kind of have that perspective um, of the attacker. And when I switched from doing offensive security research for, um, you know, the, the DOD and, and U.S. government, I really wanted to take that knowledge and help the defender. So we're going to be talking about some of that, but we could just start with, you know, what, what motivates the attacker, and um, these aren't meant to be oversimplified. They're meant to kind of take a step back uh, from the, you know, news that we hear every day, the tactical, the breaches, and and really just kind of think about it more from from a motivation 
And, uh, you know, what I want to give the audience is that perspective, right? Like, how does someone with 20 years of attack research think about my organization? And so the first thing is just motivation. Um, motivation from the attacker perspective, I think it's, it's fairly obvious to think that the motivation is financial or IP theft. And that's all true. The attacker is motivated by some payoff. There's going to be, um, you know, a, a mission or a goal, and that is often dependent on your organization. So, if you are a bank, it could be financial. If you're an innovation innovation company, it could be IP theft. Um, but when you get down to the brass tacks of it, what motivates an attacker? There's actually a an equation that some folks and colleagues have talked about, and they call it attacker math, right? Attacker math is a calculation of that reward, that payoff, the goal versus their time investment. So when an attacker starts to think about achieving that goal, they're going to really think about not necessarily being successful or not. That's 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 true. But with enough time, an attacker will be successful. That's a fact, right? With enough time. And so they're always going to be looking at how much time they want to spend on you and the reward that they hope to get. And so we can kind of use that as a jumping off point, especially when we start talking about the defender and realizing that, you know, it's not, um, there is a, there is a way to persuade, right? There's a way to kind of, um, change that equation for the attacker so that it's just not worth it. And, um, and really when you start to, to, from the attacker perspective, when you start to think about, you know, that equation, um, it really comes down to reward and time. I'll say one thing that is missing here, and um, that's any kind of risk to the attacker. One thing that we are missing completely from information security is, is the risk to the attacker. We don't have a good way to increase the risk through you know, investigation or prosecution or whatever it may be. Uh, so it's really uh, lopsided and, and um, easier sometimes to, to be that attacker because it's simply time, um, you know, in most degrees. When you think about the adversary, do you think about it in, the, in a common threat actor taxonomy? Like here are cyber organized crime groups, here are nation state groups, uh, here are terrorists, hacktivists, and maybe insiders. Um, do, you, do you categorize them like that? How do you think about them in general? I, I don't think so. I think that's a distraction to some degree. I mean, at the top levels of, of defending a nation and, and things of that nature, sure, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be some different nation state uh, activities. And so a lot of what I'm talking about is not necessarily for, uh, for that, you know, 0.1% of, of attacks. When I think about it across the landscape of enterprises, small, medium businesses, um, you know, different public sectors and whatnot, it's not, it's not so important to get that attribution. It's, it's important to know what the motivation to uh, attack your business is. And who does it is 
interesting, I think, academically, but it could be a, a single person. It could be an insider. It could be uh, a threat actor group or a nation state. And honestly, for the defender, that can be a distraction, right? That could be a distraction. You want to hand that kind of intelligence off to, uh, you know, we, I, I talked about a lack of risk, right, for the attacker. It's good to categorize those for, I think, prosecution and investigation. But for the average business, um, you know, it, it's, it's not, I don't think of it like that, right? I, I think of it as anybody at any point can attack your business. There's no barrier to entry. Um, you don't need to be a nation state to have a huge negative impact on an enterprise, even enterprises like Sony or Target or, or whoever it may be, right? Um, I'll say one thing, um, there's, the attacker has asymmetry in their favor. So they are able to, um, to use that time and uh, hopefully, you know, um, and, and not necessarily come at it from a, like the cavalry, right? They can be very a, uh, asymmetrical. And again, that's not something that only a nation state can do. It's something that anybody can do. And that kind of creates some of, the, some of the problems there. So let's talk about the mindset of the attacker and what they go through when they're thinking about targeting a business. What is the process uh, that a, a, an attacker goes through to say, hey, th and it makes the ultimate decision, this is the business, this is the organization that I'm going to target. How does that work? Yeah, after, after they've decided that there's something that they want from an organization, the way that they begin targeting is to really map out your attack surface. So they want to map out. First, it's again, kind of to the, to the, to the time versus reward. They want to know everything about you. They want to know the uh the operating systems you use the cloud host that you have your employees so they want to build out what we call kind of like a, an attack graph and it's been said before that attackers kind of think in these graphs and the graphs are built up from your assets and your your resources so the first thing that happens is the reconnaissance phase they're going to look at what you look like on the internet they're going to look at what your employees do on, on social media. They're going to put, to put that into a graph, right? So let's say you have a subsidiary in, uh, in Europe um, and the parent company is in the U.S. They're going to find that subsidiary and that's going to be part of the connection to your business. And we kind of think of that in like an attack graph where they have all these pieces and they want to move to the next section, which is trust. For an attacker, trust is really the guard between the different levels that they need to go through, the different hoops they need to jump in. And that trust is built off of those graphs. So if I am able to compromise your supplier in Europe, I know that they have a trusted uh, access to your parent company or to, to, to who I really want to attack. And so that is a part of that graph. And I'm going to analyze all of those different pieces and find what I believe is kind of the, the best bang for my buck. So Cody, how does a company go about defining their attack surface? There's several ways. The attack surface, if we, if we go back to the graphs, the attack surface are all the different technologies that 
can be leveraged to, to break through those trust barriers. And what you have to understand is traditionally, we might've thought of that as your ports and services, your networks, the systems that you have available but because of the way that the, you know, the internet has changed, social media has changed, um, the platforms have changed, it's actually much wider. I think a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is your attack surface is very broad. And I'll give you a few examples. If you take, if you have a mobile app, that mobile app might have uh, private APIs in it. It might have keys. It might have something sensitive. And an attacker will look at that mobile app and potentially gather some kind of intelligence from that. And so while that's not really a, uh, something we've been defending against what your, what your mobile apps are disclosing, it just shows you how broad they can, they, an attacker wants to go. So you could think your mobile apps, your websites, your web properties, any services or third parties that you use, your subsidiaries, your people on social media, the uh, previous um, credential breaches. Um, so it's, you know, uh, to sum up kind of what an attack surface is, it's wide, uh, a wide scope of everything that you're deploying to the internet or to, to the cloud. And um, then there's the technologies behind that, which of course, is there's going to be some kind of connection between those two, and so your attack surface goes from things to that graph and the and the connections between them, and then again, kind of what your trust looks like. Should a company spend a lot of time trying to uh, limit or minimize their attack surface? It's difficult to limit your attack surface. Um, you always have the, the, the problem as a business of getting things out in front of your customers, meeting them where they are, whether that's a mobile app or um, you know, online, and then supporting them through scalable technologies. So it's hard to, it's, it's a hard proposition for the security team to go and, and try to reduce that technology right? It's, it's not really aligned to the business. Instead, it's much more important to continuously enumerate and know what you have and then try to take what you believe to be risky and, uh, and then work from there, whether it's remediating software or educating developers. Um, you know, that's kind of how I would recommend thinking about the, the problem. So you specialize in helping companies who are going through digital transformations secure their environments. Um, and this is no easy task. Um, <laughs> I've had guest after guest after guest come on the show and describe uh, the challenge uh, that, this, that the companies face when they're going through these types of transformations. How does a digital transformation in the cloud and this increased work from home environment that we have now, this culture, uh, that has uh, emerged uh, because of the pandemic. How does that change the equation? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, we hear it all the time from our customers and colleagues where uh, kind of back to what I mentioned before, where you, you want to leverage these technologies. Uh, no one should tell you that 
moving to the cloud and and you know increasing these types of capabilities is bad. It's it's the opposite. It's great for business. The problem is these platforms that we're adopting and the technologies we're using are extremely complicated. I have 20 years of experience, and when I am working on, let's say, Amazon AWS, uh, it's it's frankly confusing. Um, the documentation is poor. The uh, support is poor. The tools that the event that the uh, the you know provider gives you are not flexible. Um, you know, we're I think sixty percent of businesses are multi-cloud, so there's there's not much conversions. So I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but what happens is we're we have to do this digital transformation. Business has to move uh, to this area. But we need to also think about what added risk uh, that brings to us. So if, if, if you're an Amazon customer, there's 140 or more services that Amazon offers. So you, we are going from a traditional kind of castle and moat defense where we know all of our hardware, we know the software, we know uh, you know, we know our firewalls and we're moving it to this completely decentralized technology stack that has 140 different services. And that's everything from databases to compute to APIs to, um, you know, um, just everything, right? These companies want to offer you everything. You have to, from a security perspective, think about that, uh, you know, buffet and ask yourself, what additional risk am I bringing on by using an Amazon DynamoDB or Compute? And how do, I, uh, how do I attempt to secure that? Now, the second part to the difficulty is just education. We don't have a lot of um, security education around reducing that risk or around securely uh, adopting multi-cloud and a lot of times your people whether they're developers or security people are just not going to really understand that risk calculation they're not going to understand how attackers are using these 140 services to compromise your uh you know compromise your organization um so you know I mentioned the attack graphs. I mentioned that we think about attack surfaces, everything you have. Well, by adopting the cloud, which again, I wanna make clear is a good thing for business. We have to solve this problem. You now not just have a moat and, and, and castle, you have a thousand different castles that you have to defend and probably no moat. So the real big difference is you move from something that you can scope pretty easily you have one needle and one haystack. Uh, now we're at a point where you have one needle and a million haystacks. And so there's a scope there that we have to kind of think about and a scope that we have to really have different tools and approaches and, and techniques to understand and secure. Okay, folks, we got to transition into a commercial break here, but stick right with us. Lots more cybersecurity talk to come on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. 
For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the co-founder and CEO of AlphaWave, Mr. Cody Pierce. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the co-founder and CEO of AlphaWave, Mr. Cody Pierce. So, Cody, in the first segment, we were talking about the attacker, what motivates the attacker, sort of the process and the mindset that they go through. How about the defender, right? 
How does offense inform defense and what motivates a defender in most cases, at least in your experience? What do you see out there? Well, I think there's the what motivates defenders now and, and what potentially change you can make to motivate them in the future. Right now, a lot of the defenders are, they're obviously motivated by security, right? I've never met anybody that does this work that doesn't truly want to make, uh, make the world more secure. However, a lot of the defenders are put into position to work task, to work tactical tasks. Things come in, they respond to them. And, um, you know, there's a process that you've put in place that they must go through. And that's not the motivation that you want. The motivation that you want defenders to have and what should, in my opinion, to be more successful motivate the defenders are a few things. First off, for anyone that manages a security team, you have to set a goal. You need to be able to measure your uh, progress to be a more secure company. You have to be able to create goals for your people. And um, that helps with motivating the defender to stick with the goals of your security organization versus becoming uh, just a, you know, a, a ticket person, right? Someone that just sees tickets and reads them and then kind of goes about their day. And, you know, there's not a lot of direction. So first thing to motivate a defender is to give them clear goals and to have well-defined what it means to secure your business. So that's motivation, right? When people know what job they have, it turns out that they are way more engaged and active in achieving those goals. So that's step one. Uh, the second, which is more per on the personal level, Motivation from defense comes from confidence. You have to be confident because it's overwhelming on the defense side. You have alerts, you have projects, you have new technologies rolling out, and you need to have confidence because confidence is going to be what gets you through um, the the day-to-day, -day, you know, I don't want to say busy work because it's important, but looks towards the bigger picture for your organization. And back to kind of step one, you have to have the big picture for your organization or your defenders will always be behind the attacker. The attacker doesn't necessarily have to um, have to attack every single bit of your infrastructure, but your defenders need to defend every single bit of your, of your infrastructure. So that confidence, right? You want to give them confidence that comes through uh, teamwork, knowledge, and and tools. Um, a well-motivated defender has what they need to support that confidence and work towards the mission that you've set uh, for that team. And the teamwork, I think we, you know, it's 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 pretty pretty general across the board. But the knowledge is important. You know, if you give your people the knowledge and they, um, for instance, give them knowledge of cloud security, give them the tools to work with the cloud providers and to work with that data, give them the ability to search triage. Um, and then lastly, you know, give them the ability to see how their progress matches up against the goal. So a well-motivated defender has good support from top and bottom, a good team, 
and uh, most importantly, knows what they're there for, what they're there to protect, and has the support to protect it. So, Cody, how do offense and defense differ, right? How does offense inform defense, and, and when do they collide with each other? So the first thing to remember is, you know, offense and defense and the, and the combative role, right? You, uh, an attacker that is looking to uh, steal your IP uh, versus defenders that are there to protect the IP. In that dynamic, the biggest difference is that uh, the attacker is asymmetrical. They have a really good um, advantage because they can do they can perform different reconnaissance or different attacks at different times of the day and in different volumes. So if you are on the battlefield, it's not like there's a big cavalry in front of you and that's your threat. Uh, it's more along the lines of it's dark at night and you're walking around the border and you don't know if it's an animal out there or if it's actual threat, right? There's just some asymmetry to it that the offensive side can leverage. Um, and, and from the defense perspective, that asymmetry turns into uh, the symmetrical nature of, of defense, which is to defend everything continuously and, um, you know, try to be correct 100%, try to be 100% secure. You know, all those things have to fall in line and they want to handle things as they come in. So they want to be able to handle uh, an, uh, an attack that comes in and quickly resolve it, quickly make a change or quickly update or, or respond to it. And unfortunately, right now, the defenders have millions of different alerts that they're having to triage. And if you think about it in a stack, they're never really getting to the, to the bottom of the stack. And that's kind of the symmetrical nature of defense. You know, they have to kind of do all the work and uh, attackers really just get to poke and prod. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way that the, the asymmetry of, of uh, you know, cyber defense is. Yeah, much more difficult to play defense in cybersecurity than to play offense, for sure. Um, you know, how, how does a defender think about defending a business? Like, what's the prioritization uh, process that they go through in terms of mitigating controls and what comes first, what comes second, that kind of thing? Yeah, the, it's, it's tough. We ask, um, we ask our blue teams to do everything and we don't properly define what they're defending. So the first thing to do in any business is to know what you're defending. We talked about attack graphs, right? Where the attacker is thinking about the different connections and what they need to compromise to the get to the next step. A defender really needs to think more about rings of trust. So if you have your um, crown jewels, let's say your customer's information, that needs to be identified and then what needs to be identified is the rings of trust to get to that level. If you have something like your customer information and all you think about are the different connections, it becomes hard to really 
understand what you really need to do and where your investment is going to pay off. So if you think about rings of trust, you can start by making sure your defense of the central most important trusted ring is well enumerated, is well defined as far as process and procedures. And frankly, you have to get to a base where you have almost like inbox zero, right? If you have inbox zero, when a new email comes in, you can respond to it. You need to make sure your cyber hygiene is up to a level where that inner trust ring is very clean. And you have mentioned to your defenders that that is a uh, something that they must protect. And then when new things do come in, they can easily triage it and respond. And you can also invest more in that area or in that knowledge base or, or whatever it is. And as you expand, you can't cover everything. This is back to defenders have to be right 100% of the time and attackers have to be run, want, right once. You're never going to defend everything. So what is, I want to say, I don't want to use the word unimportant, but what has less risk to your business you don't need to be 100%, but you do need to have a plan of protecting those different inner rings so that compromise of something you've determined to be not necessarily uh, high value can't then be used to breach the trust levels of subsequent rings. And to put that all in the kind of how should a defender think about defending a business, it comes down to, I can't do everything. I need to have my tools and processes in place that allow me to force multiply myself and my team with, I said this before, with the leadership telling them and measuring what they need to defend and then be very clear about that. And I think a lot of times when you can start to put some of those pieces together and practice in your organization, then your defenders will think, um, will think about things in a, in a, in a, in a way that motivates them and, and is more successful and you'll have breaches, but then they'll be confident and empowered to, uh, to respond to those uh, with the right, you know, process and tools in place. So we're often talking about uh, adversaries, TTPs on this show. Can you explain what an attacker TTP is? And can you also put it into perspective for our audience? Sure. As most people know, that uh, an attacker's TTPs are simply their tactics, techniques, and procedures. It's how they work. It's what they do. It's the types of resources they use. Um, it's just, I think, a way to codify the intent of an attacker and also a way after breach to kind of... Um, uh, create kind of action items or things to look for in your network and protect from. What I think is interesting about TTPs is, is if, if you put them into perspective, what you want to get, once you have found something out about the ways and means that the attackers targeting you, and it can be different. So you always have to kind of contextualize back to yourself. Uh, what, what you can do with that is you can bring it back to the equation of the attack math is is my defense going to using the TTPs, if I can protect against one of those techniques, will that make it harder 
for uh, for an attacker to uh, compromise my organization. And I'll put that into a little bit more detail in a second. But there's certain costs associated with attacking a business. There are infrastructure costs. There's the cost of exploits and malware and uh, C2. And think about the TTPs as that time investment for them. So malware, generating a new type of malware might not cost them anything. They might just have a, a, a way to build new malware that looks has a different signature. And in you know, 30 seconds, they've now got a new um, you know, technique or, or artifact. So if you as a defender are putting all of your investment in defeating the malware, you're probably not getting the ROI on that effort. Instead, if you were to change the way that, um, you know, maybe add exploit prevention, add, um, you know, kind of next gen EPP, uh, some of those technologies focus on the tactic level or the generic technique level. And often for an attacker, those are the hardest ones to replace. If I have a way to, um, if I have a, a, an Excel macro that I use and it has my payload in it, but then my payload uses a certain type of, um, you know, uh, memory injection or maybe, uh, you know, a bespoke way to do persistence, taking out those is actually more important it's more important than taking out their initial macro or taking out their initial payload because it's what they use across all of their operations. And it's likely a huge piece of the success of their operations. So the TTPs need to be part of your equation as a defender in how you respond and how you make it more difficult for the next attacker. And there's, I, I've written a lot of exploits, um, zero-day exploits and, and end-day exploits. And I can tell you that there's, in the exploit world, and this is the same for, you know, people that are doing living off the land or, or fileless or whatever, you build a lot of your capabilities around a few techniques. You know, you might have a certain way that you trigger an exploit. You might have a certain way that you trigger a browser exploit or you serve something up. And if you can block that, then I, as an attacker, have to go and refactor my complete chain, which takes time and resources. So that's just a little bit about the TTPs that, that's important to kind of highlight, because again, we're looking on ways to maximize your people, maximize your investment. And if you can't cover everything, you need to be very tactical about what you prevent and protect against. And um, it's not um, it's, it's not as simple as grabbing a bunch of hashes and, you know, a bunch of, uh, threat actor information. You have to make sure that that information that you're getting on the TTPs is something you can use in your tools that give you, uh, you know, that hurts them on the time side or hurts them on the technique and, and TTP side. All right, Cody, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the co-founder and CEO of AlphaWave, Mr. Cody Pierce. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the co-founder and CEO of AlphaWave, Mr. Cody Pierce. So, Cody, in this last segment, I want to talk a little bit about how you can leverage the attacker perspective for a better defense, right? How do we create this constant learning model where we're constantly learning from what we see from the attackers, we're constantly learning from what we see from our alerts and on all of the incidents that we have in place, and we take that and we apply it to our defense? How does that work? It's a good question. You know, it's important to kind of bring all this together and how uh, we could be better at defense. Um, I think there's certainly a need for uh, attackers to help inform defenders so that we can be a, a more secure society. Part of 
leveraging the attacker perspective, besides the high level things that I've kind of talked about, you need to perform some of the same uh, techniques that attackers do. And the one that always comes up first that I like to recommend is perform regular reconnaissance on your business. Con attackers continuously scan, right? They are continuously looking for your low hanging fruit. They're looking for a new unsecured system. They're looking for something like that. So you need to be doing that continuously as well. You may not have the processes in place where a developer will tell security that they've deployed something, and most likely you don't. You need to have the, the, uh, your, your security team scanning as if they were an attacker, not actually trying to penetrate a system, but just building out that graph and creating context. We talked about how attackers think in graphs. So it's important to kind of start to build that view of your organization externally, but you also have to give it context. Data without any intelligence is useless. So you need as a defender to not only be able to perform the attack techniques in general, but you also need to have the context from your knowledge of your organization to really prioritize and think about where your risk may lie in some of those different graphs or trust or whatever you may identify. So I wanna talk a little bit about technologies that, that, that companies could use to actually increase their defense and death posture. And I know a lot of people are probably hesitant to say, okay, you know, this is a good technology to use. Some, some guys come on the show and they'll be like, no, we definitely use this service over that service. Um, and, you know, it differs. I don't know if you can't talk about it, fine, but what technologies, if, if you can, what technologies can aid defenders Sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a vendor, so um, I'm going to leave the bias aside and maybe talk a little bit at a, at a high level of what you need from your technologies. Uh, adopting new technologies is never a silver bullet. First and foremost, we have to understand there is no silver bullet in security technology. Um, that's just, um, you know, if anybody tells you that, it's, it's wrong. What good technologies can do for you as a defender is help you measure your security, help you validate your security, perform continuously, which is a new idea. We have come from the era of maybe running your vulnerability management scanner weekly or monthly, uh, or having a pen test every 30 days or uh, every year. And that is never going to cover the asymmetry or the persistence of an attacker. So you need continuous security. Your technologies need to be able to run unattended with little resources all the time. Um, and part of what modern vendors in the space are doing is also giving you APIs and integrations. You want to be able to take your technology stack doesn't matter what it is, just matters how effective you are at using it. And you wanna be able to kind of use the different APIs integrations to force multiply your people. So again, attackers are very, very good at automation and it's very cheap for them. And it's the opposite for defenders in a lot of cases, you have to maximize through, maximize through integrations, processes, and knowledge and, and you know making all of those very streamlined and non-intrusive. The other, other one I would actually, you know, uh, not going to pitch any products, but a good, a good uh, endpoint, 
you know, the right firewalls, the good, good introspection into what you have and visibility are all very important um, as, as, as well as the external attack surface. And then there's other maybe more people uh, investments you can make. I'm not a huge fan of pen tests. I do like red teams. If you are, if you are lucky enough to be able to hire a red team, that is a, a, a pretty good, um, it's a pretty good investment in my opinion. And the red team can align with knowledge and confidence and uh, the, the risk of your business with your defenders and kind of help the whole thing work together. They can build your people up. They can tell you what they would do. You know, they can help you with um, looking at uh, the technologies you purchase, your gaps, all those kind of things. It's really nice if you, and they can do it continuously. Whereas a pen test is usually something you do every once in a while. And by the time you get that report, your whole landscape has changed or the, the information isn't current anymore. I'll end on this one with, if you don't have the ability to have a red team, assign somebody on the security team or developer, whoever in the organization is really kind of interested, assign them to maybe be the lead of the attack research or attack knowledge uh, knowledge and build them up to a position where they may not have a whole, you may not have a whole team or they may not do it continuously, but you've invested in that attacker perspective and you have a person there on your team that can at least, uh, you know, be a, uh, be a counter voice or a, a dissenting voice, or maybe a, even a, a you know, thought leader on your side about what you should be protecting. Cody, what kind of predictions can you make about future attacks going into 2021 here? For me, it comes down to multi-cloud. It comes down to this digital transformation and um, working from home. It just, it, it gives the attack. It's so hard for the defenders to look through even a single cloud uh, and then multi-cloud. And the cloud platform vendors are not necessarily interested in your security. They don't know your business. And so you do have to do a lot of work to make sure that when you do move to multi-cloud, if you're not already there, that you have a way to abstract a lot of the security work you're doing beyond just the single provider like Amazon or, or Microsoft. And I think we're going to see a lot of issues with the interconnections between multi-cloud, authentication, identity management, and all those services that they have. Web APIs and web technologies, when I think about it, in fact, AlphaWave really puts a lot of effort into this. A lot of things, if not most things these days are built on web technologies, APIs, single, you know, single page apps, your mobile apps are using web technologies, databases, Elasticsearch, all these different things are really working over different RESTful APIs. And um, that's hard to secure just by the inner workings of, of all these different microservices that you may have. So those will continue to be a problem. And I think they will continue to be a harder problem for the defender to understand, enumerate, and continuously validate those different connections. If you had one, uh, a, a one final thought to leave with our audience before we break here, what would it be? What's the, what, what should they take away? Be realistic. Hmm. Be realistic about what you have and what you have to defend and the people that you have to, to help you uh, be successful. If you, if you are, have a smaller budget or a smaller team, 
then make those trust circles we talked about around what's important to your business, make those smaller, you know, just you can defend a much smaller area with less resources than you can a big area. So just try to be realistic. Um, also keep your people motivated. It's really important. There's burnout is super high in, uh, in cybersecurity. Keep your people motivated with the right investment and support, and they will do 10x the work if they have the right mission. And the last thing that I'll, I'll say, um, and I'll take my vendor hat off for this, spending does not equal security. What you buy is not going to magically make you secure. It's part people processes in your tooling. And so um, if you do spend, make sure that you can measure that that is actually making you more secure and reducing your tech surface or uh, helping your people be twice as efficient at what they do. All right, Cody, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. This is an interesting discussion. I hope we can do it again, maybe come back on one of our panels. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, I want to say that uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Defenders can can win. Um, we just have to kind of change the, the narrative of a lot of what we're thinking about in the space. Roger that. Roger that. Most definitely. Okay, folks, it's time to bounce up out of here. We're just about out of time already. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. The voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 